If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Let's bow our heads together. We know it's a rhetorical question, Holy One. The proverb asks, does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? Well, yes, of course she does. It's just that it seems like we live in a particularly difficult living, listening environment and living environment in this particular moment. It's hard to hear her over all the Christian nationalism. It's hard to hear her over the AR-15s. It's hard to hear her over the conspiracy theorists. But it's not impossible. She just won't quit that woman wisdom. And we are committed to leaning in. Help us to listen harder, Holy One. Give us ears to hear hearts that won't harden, and the will to be the last to lose hope. We pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves, put away our weapons, and seek the truth. Amen. Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. 
When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Oh, we know these stories. They are familiar. And we know the traditional interpretations. The church has a long history of caste and character assignments in making meaning of these parables. In the first parable, the lost sheep is often understood as a believer who has wandered away from the flock, and the shepherd is Jesus, or God, who I remind you are not necessarily the same person, doing everything to bring the lost sheep back to safety. The ones who are celebrating at the end are said to represent the rejoicing church. In the second parable, the interpretation is repeated. In some ways, this is important and helpful insofar as it casts God as a woman. After all, if the man looking for the lost sheep is God, then the woman looking for the lost coin is God. I mean, what is it that they say? The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Yes, we know these stories. And really, they do not seem all that complicated. I mean, do we really need a sermon on it? After all, Luke actually gives us an interpretation. You heard it after each parable, explaining that both are about repentance, which is everyone's favorite topic to talk about in church. But repentance is what Luke says these parables are about. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And then in the second, just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's just one small problem. No one repents in the story, or rather, no animal or object repents. Neither the lost sheep nor the lost coin express sincere regret or remorse. As Dr. Amy Jill Levine comments, there was no sin. The sheep did not come to itself and find its way home. It it was the owner who lost the sheep, and if this losing were sinful, He's not seen repenting. And the same goes for the coin. It's it's just that there is no such thing as sheep shame or penny penitence. The coin and the sheep did not sin and they did not repent, nor did the sheep owner or the woman forgive their lost objects. All of this trouble really comes from understanding the parables as allegories, stories that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. But as scholar Marie Mayo reminds us, parables should not need outside answer keys to help us interpret them. In a first century context, the stories have to have had meaning that the people could understand 
Moreover, if Jesus wanted to talk about repenting, he could easily do so without using a parable, as he states quite directly in the Gospel of Mark, repent and believe the good news. Allegories are texts that require decoder rings to understand, where each element symbolically represents something else. An allegory would be the beloved Narnia books by C.S. Lewis. Those who have the answer key know that Aslan the lion represents Jesus. Another famous allegory is George Orwell's Animal Farm, which on the surface is a book about farm animals, pigs and horses and sheep, but which, for those who have the answer key, is really a cautionary tale about Russian communism. Closer to Jesus' own time period are the allegories known as Aesop's fables. For example, Aesop's story of the tortoise and the hare has both a surface meaning and a deeper meaning. This story is about a hare and a tortoise engaging in a foot race. Surprisingly, the slower tortoise unexpectedly beats the unusually fast rabbit. And in this story, the hare represents people who have natural talents, such as being able to run fast, but either waste them or rely only on what comes naturally to them rather than on working hard. The tortoise represents those who work hard and diligently and who succeed even if they were not born with certain talents or abilities. The race represents life itself. Thus, the story tells us that we must work hard and persevere like the tortoise and we should not rely only on the talents that come naturally to us. That's what the decoder ring would reveal. But Jesus' teachings are not simplistic allegories like Aesop's fables or Animal Farm, nor are they extremely complex allegories like Narnia tales. They are short stories designed to t less to teach us something new than they are to remind us of those kingdom values that we have buried deep down and sometimes don't want to let come to the surface. Jesus tells us that the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And the parables help us go through the gate and stay on the path by challenging us. So let's look at these parables again for the first time, as Marcus Borg would say, with the understanding that a simple story can indeed offend us, provoke us, confront us, and dare us to take it seriously. That's why all of you showed up this morning, I know. Jesus began the first parable with the question, which one of you, which, which one of you, Having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. As Dr. Levine explains, the question would provoke from the majority of people in Jesus' audience the answer, not I, uh, most peasants do not own a hundred sheep. The parable's opening presupposes a person of some means, and so does the story of the woman who has lost her silver coin peasants really don't have any coins at all, much less silver ones, although having may simply mean having charge over, but the image is that of substance. 
that audience might also have remarked on the owner's recognition that a sheep was missing. If one has five sheep, only noting that only four are on the hillside would be pretty easy to do, but it is less easy, perhaps impossible, to notice one out of a hundred. Most people, expecting a hundred coins in a jar or daisies in a field, could not spot one missing without not only counting, but also organizing them into rows. One out of a hundred is easy to overlook, but as soon as the owner recognizes his loss, he takes whatever steps are necessary in order to bring the group to wholeness. Even a missing 1% must be noticed. And if he can notice the missing one and diligently seek to find it, the parable reminds listeners that perhaps we have lost something or someone, but have not noticed it. Before the search can begin, we first have to notice what is lost. And this is also true of the parable of the lost coin. As the flock of 100 is incomplete at 99, so too is the silver coin collection incomplete at nine. And it is easier to notice one item missing from a collection of 10 rather than 100, but it is still difficult to distinguish nine coins from 10 in a pile. The woman, like the owner of the flock, counted. When she found a coin missing, she went all out for the search. The man's urgent search for his lost sheep is replayed in the woman's urgent search, lighting the lamps, sweeping the floor for her coin. Eventually, both the man and the woman they experience the joy of finding and both share that joy with their friends and neighbors. But first, they had to realize they had lost something of value and they did that because they were paying attention. They counted. And this is where the parable causes us to pause. Do we know what we have lost? Have we counted? Actually, we have counted. We have an incredible number of statistics and percentages and all of those things on what has been lost. We know that more than 1,300 people were dealing with homelessness on the night of Oklahoma City's annual point-in-time count a few months ago. That number doesn't include people who are staying in hotels, treatment centers, emergency rooms, jails, or those who are temporarily staying with a friend or relative or acquaintance, but it's definitely more than 1,300. And we know that Oklahoma City Public Schools had 1,952 children experiencing homelessness at the end of the year. We know that this year, Oklahoma had a record 3,616 emergency certified teachers. Teachers who aren't fully qualified, but allowed to teach if there's a need. 10 years ago, there was less than 100. 
We know that 50% of our classroom teachers are considering leaving the state entirely or leaving the profession this year, citing low pay and high stress as the reasons and why we are deep into this teacher shortage crisis without an end in sight. We know that the number of young people who identify as transgender has nearly doubled in recent years and this is in part because young people increasingly have the language and social acceptance to explore their gender identities. But the numbers vary widely state by state. And we know because we live in Oklahoma, trans youth in Oklahoma have it pretty rough. At the end of last month, Governor Stitt signed SB 615, legislation that bans trans people from using bathrooms and changing rooms consistent with their gender at Oklahoma public schools and public charter schools. The Trevor Project has done some counting for us, and we know that transgender youth report significantly increased rates of depression, suicidality, and victimization compared to their cisgender peers. Notably, in the past year, one in three transgender youth reported attempting suicide. Almost one-third reported being a victim of sexual violence, and more than half reported a two-week period of depression. And we have certainly counted what we have lost from guns. According to the Center for Disease Control, and let me interrupt myself to point out that firearm violence is considered a disease. According to the Center for Disease Control, in 2020, there were over 45,000 firearm-related deaths in the United States. That's about 124 people dying from a firearm-related injury every day. More than half of firearm-related deaths were suicides, and more than four out of every 10 were firearm homicides. In 2020, firearm-related injuries were among the five leading causes of death for people ages 1 to 44 in the United States. Men account for 86% of all victims of firearm deaths and 87% of non-fatal firearm injuries. Firearm homicides rates are as highest among teens and young adults ages 15 to 34, and among black Americans, native peoples, and Latino populations. This is the count. The man who lost one sheep dropped everything and went on a search and rescue mission. The woman who lost one coin turned the house upside down. She turned the house upside down. Perhaps that's why Jesus ended up turning a few tables. And now we are left with the question, what are we willing to do about what has been lost? What lengths are we willing to go to get people housed, to restore respect and honor to the profession of teaching, to make sure our trans youth know, not just feel, but know that they are safe and loved? 
What are we willing to reprioritize, devote our time to doing, spend our money on, and offer our talents to in order to stop gun violence, to ensure full inclusion, and to shape this world through nonviolence, to bring peace through justice? Are we willing to take whatever steps are necessary to bring wholeness Will it be said of us that we searched as urgently as the characters in these parables or with at least the same urgency as when we lose our cell phones? Now that we've counted, can we be counted on? You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.